Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Sourcebooks. I had a chance to sit down with author Carrie Lindell, whose contemporary Western series Texas Rodeo includes Reckless in Texas, Tangled in Texas, Tougher in Texas, Fearless in Texas, and the new holiday special Mistletoe in Texas. Carrie brings a lifetime of personal experience as a horse trainer and rodeo competitor to her writing about the exciting, dangerous, and romantic world of Texas rodeo. Look for other Sourcebooks Casablanca Christmas titles, such as You Had Me at Cowboy by Jenny Martz, Cowboy Seal Christmas by Nicole Helm, Billionaire Wolf for Christmas by Terry Spear, and Cowboy Christmas Jubilee from Dylan Crush. episode 291 of the professional book nerds podcast presented by overdrive this is jill hi adam hi you sound so excited right now uh before we were recording i may have been looking at various christmas gifts for people that's fair <laughs> to quite literally tis the season that makes sense that are harry potter related so yeah oh yeah you have every right to be excited then yeah this is the best i don't want to ask you what they are in case those people happen to listen that's true they might never, never know um yeah our uh and so we're in the last legs of living with my parents, and my wife is so good at online shopping that we get all of the packages for nieces and nephews and all of our stuff all sent there, and it's hilarious. Every like every day for the past week, multiple packages has arrived. And Does she use Ebates? Of course she uses okay. Ebates. And just if checking. You, yeah, and if you guys aren't using Ebates, you should sign up for it because you're just wasting the chance to get back free money. That's what you're going to buy anyway. Yeah, exactly. And during the Christmas and holiday season, they're – cashback on stuff is ridiculously awesome yep. this isn't a ad read or anything but full disclosure ebates is one of our sister companies so it'd be weird if they paid us to talk about that would their be stuff. a little weird well they should they've we'll do got, ads for you ebates yeah they've got the money <laughs> they are doing very well um i should probably cut that part out <laughs> just realized that uh okay so as I mentioned in our ad read, today's episode is sponsored by Sourcebooks, and we interviewed, or I interviewed another one of their wonderful authors, Carrie Lindell. Um, but before I jump into all the things we discussed, do you want to tell people how they can get a hold of us and all that good jazz? Sure. You can visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com. From there are all of our social links. We are on Twitter and Instagram, at ProBookNerds. You can join our Viber community to talk about books um, with us and other people, and you can email us directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. Uh, thank you to everyone who emailed us and connected with us through social media about their particular book like kind of wheelhouses and for people that they're also uh, trying to purchase for. We're going to be doing all of the recommendations on Thursday of this week, so be sure to listen in to hear if we have your recommendations. Or even if you didn't send us anything, listen in because I'm sure we're going to get some awesome recommendations from our staff librarians here. Uh, also, as soon as Jill and I stop recording this, we are going to be planning out some really fun stuff for 2019 so yeah we are be sure to listen in uh, over the next couple weeks 
to hear about that so you don't miss out on a lot of fun. Uh, so now getting to the author, Carrie Lindell. I mentioned this at the beginning, and I actually think I mentioned it last week, too. Uh, she writes romance novels, and a lot of hers are centered in Texas and especially around rodeos. Uh, and I might have mentioned this in the past one, but one of the really interesting about all these romance writers is they really write about what they know. So she has spent her entire life around rodeos and farms, and it's just she lives a really interesting life. And I, we got into a much longer conversation than I thought we were going to just because everything about her life is so fascinating. Literally outside her backyard is Canada. Um, she lives in Montana, like on the border of U.S. and Canada. She can see uh, National Glacier Park like in her backyard. It's beautiful. So we just had a really long-form conversation about her writing and her life and growing up. And, uh, and then we got on a, She's very tangenty like I am, and so... That's how it became a longer conversation. Uh, so very interesting. I think people really, really will enjoy it. Uh, before we let them get to that, is there anything you think people should know about on this lovely Monday? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Okay. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this chat with Carrie Lindell on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Adam again, and today I'm incredibly excited to be joined by Carrie Lindell, who is a romance author who lives in Montana and writes wonderful, wonderful stories all about cowboys in Texas. And, and I, we were just talking before we started recording, and your life outside of writing sounds so fascinating, and we're going to dive into so many things here. But first off, Carrie Lynn, thank you for joining us today. You are welcome. This I'm really excited. I've, as we discussed before, I've been a huge fan of Overdrive um, for as long as it's been available to me because I do so much driving in all the various parts of my life, and so audiobooks are. I love audiobooks. <laughs> I was just you when you told me how long you've been listening to them. I'll be honest, like you have been using Overdrive since like before it was an easy service to use, like when it was actively almost very difficult to use. You've been here for the long haul. Yeah, I am. The very first MP3 player that I bought was like, that's all it did. It was just an MP3 player, and I bought it specifically so that I could download audiobooks and listen to them. I don't, I'm not sure I actually ever even had any music on it. <laughs> all I used for was audiobooks. Oh, so, um, yeah, it's been quite a while and um we were living in Oregon at that time so I am I live now on the same ranch where I grew up I can look out my kitchen window and see into my parents bedroom I'm that close (laughs) (laughs) um except when the teepee's up in the summertime when the teepee's up in between us it blocks the line of sight which is nice um right now I only have teepee poles decorated with Christmas lights so um but I have this 20-year gap when I left, um, and I was actually not even in Montana. I went to Texas right out of college and then to South Dakota and then to Oregon and then just came back here in 2008. So, okay. So, well, um, so I started with Overdrive Media actually in Pendleton, Oregon, through their library, and I kept my Oregon library card for as long as I they would <laughs> let me keep it. I like was hide like undercover trying to make sure they didn't know I left, <laughs> <laughs> so that I could keep using it. Um, and finally, they they canceled my card, and by by that time, my local library had got on board with 
overdrive so I was good to go. Yeah, I mean, that's, I always tell people all the time, that's the way to do it is keep as many library cards as you can. I will openly admit to people when they tell me, hey, my library doesn't have a great selection, what can I do? I like tell them under the table, I'm like, do you have a neighbor, or do you have a, a family member who lives in a metropolitan area that you can always do that? I'm not supposed to tell people that, but I do all the time. So you're doing the right thing, I think. You know, and I I actually know of a couple of um, best-selling authors who, if they're in a city for a few days, they will go sign up for a library card and pay for a library card in every town they visit just to help support the libraries. You should see so, um, my C- You should see our CEOs. Like he has like, a stack of library cards. So I, yeah, it's I think they're okay with it. It's more patrons. Yeah, and I had this conversation with a friend recently online because her mother is legally blind mm-hmm. and um, listens to audiobooks nonstop. And she said, you know, can anybody recommend a good place to get audiobooks cheap because I can't afford to keep up with her how fast she goes through them? And I was all about, I'm like, <laughs> you've just got to go to the like nearest library to you that offers Overdrive and Montana, with Montana, under Montana Library to go and um, get signed up, and you have an endless supply. And so she was pretty excited, and that, that to me is a huge service um, for people who, you know, can't read for whatever reason. All right, Carrie, now that you have done an Overdrive commercial for us, that we'll, we'll, just, <laughs> we'll just clip that and we'll just play that on the radio. I feel like we should do some promotion of you. So you mentioned that you were in Texas at one point in your travels, and that's what a lot of your, your stories are from. You have your Texas Rodeo series. So first off, do you want to talk about um, your new book that just came out in September? Because it's very, very on, uh, kind of on point with what season we're just getting into. Yes, um, this is Mistletoe in Texas. And it is a Christmas book, obviously. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have written it if I had realized what I was getting myself into. So um, <laughs> helpful hint to new authors who've never written a series before. If you write a series where, and, and all of my books are standalones, but they are interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so you see people from one book showing up in the other. It's all kind of a large family, extended family. And it didn't occur to me until I got into the writing of the book that none of these people had ever, because of the setup of the book, none of them go away. They all stay in this small town. Mm -hmm. And so when I sat down to write this book, I had to account, this is the fifth book in the series, I had to account for every single character I had basically ever written (laughs) in the series in a way that would not completely lose a reader who picked up Mistletoe as the first of my books they'd ever written, yeah. but would satisfy the people who've been following the series. And, um, yeah, that was really a challenge, <laughs> way more of a challenge than I was expecting. So um, I think I pulled it off. Um, I've, from the reviews that I've seen, um, I don't see a lot of people saying, you know, really, you don't want to read this book if you haven't <laughs> read the other books in the series. You're going to be completely lost. Mm-hmm. But I did on my Facebook page. I was I I posted a cast of characters because a friend of mine asked me. She said, "I'm such a slow reader that I keep forgetting who's who." Mm-hmm. So I have a cast of characters of the entire series. So if people go to Facebook, they can go back and be reminded who's who and how they're related and. 
you know what? That's so smart. I'm. I will f- openly admit. I. I think it's important to understand your strengths and your weaknesses as a person. And one of my weaknesses is I'm horrible with names. So what? That's a, that's a wonderful idea to, to provide your readers. Like, all right, everybody, listen. Yes, it's a part of a series. We have multiple characters. Here's everybody, and here's what they were from. That's actually that's really really smart. That was a good idea. Yeah, you know, I wish she had suggested it before my deadline, <laughs> and I had time to, to get it put together because um, it would have been a great thing to actually have in the back of the book. Although this book is very, very long already, I'm not sure we had room for anything more in the back of the book, but um, we really, I all of these books are longer than your average Western romance. Mm-hmm. Um and this one is about 10 chapters longer because of that and because of it's just there's a lot of complexity in this book. Um, the, one of the challenges and that I sort of marginally was successful at was laying out the timelines because it actually overlaps with things from the previous book. Mm-hmm. And um, I there are... The people who have read all the books and know the series don't have any trouble with it, but I've had people who pick this up as the first book go, you're missing a year here. (laughs) So the people who read the book before know what happened during that year, but somewhere in the editing and everything else in this book, we didn't do maybe as good a job of explaining that as we should have. I'm just going to say it feels like you're actively making it more difficult on yourself to write this book. Like it at the time. There are about seventy-five thousand words that I wrote that are not in this book. Oh where God. I would get off on a wrong turn, and my editor would go, "No, that's not working," and I'd have to go back up and, or that's just something. You no, know, th- that's too much. We can't go there. We don't have enough room in this book to even address that. Oh. And so, um, yeah, it was. I told my editor I think she should actually be listed as the co-author on this book because she had to work really really hard <laughs> I, I I'm sorry 75,000 words not in there is so many words you I as a person who tries to write I can't imagine seeing that many words that I wrote disappear God oh my bless your heart that's insane <laughs> yeah and it you know it really was just having to um because there was so much in this book that we wanted to do and say um and it's a situation so probably before we go get much further and people are going i have no idea what they're talking about <laughs> um this is in texas um this was a book i never intended to write this was a hero i never intended to write um he basically I believe is on almost the first page of the first book of the series Mm -hmm. as like a 19-year-old punk who is a pain in everybody's butt (laughs) and continues to be a pain in everybody's butt throughout the series. And in uh, the third book, um, which was tougher in Texas, he, he actually goes over the line and they have to fire him. Mm-hmm. So this whole this whole series is set around um, the the rodeo producers, the people who own the livestock and and make the rodeos happen. They're not um, really about the contestants. They're about the people like the bullfighters, the pickup men, the stock contractors, and all of those people that 
that make the rodeos happen mm-hmm. and help the cowboys out. Um, and there isn't, other than Tangled in Texas, they're not really about the contestants themselves. And so um, Hank is a bullfighter, and he's kind of a, like a prodigy. But he's grown up in this family of stock contractors. He's not of their family, but he's family and theirs are great friends. And so he sort of just was like had his spot already there for him when he got old enough. But he didn't, he kind of didn't grow up is the problem. Mm-hmm. And so he's he has a lot of issues. He's burned a lot of bridges. He's caused a lot of problems. And he finally just goes completely off the rails after they have to fire him. You know, it's like basically being kicked out of your family. Mm-hmm. And he goes completely off the rails and ends up living basically in a squatter's camp in Montana with, like, this old woman who's a, a hermit and <laughs> greets everybody with a shotgun. And, you know, this this woman... Um, there's a rodeo secretary at the rodeo where he finally crashes and burns who who gets him out of the hospital, takes him home with her, puts her, puts him in this place and says, look, you've got to get your stuff together and here's a place that you can be where you literally, there's nobody here and you can't do any damage. <laughs> and so you can just put a pause button on your life and take the time to figure out, you know, how to get yourself straightened out. And so... Um, at the beginning of this book is the point where she looks at him and says, it's time for you to go home. You're ready, and it's time. And so he goes back to Texas and has to face all of those people and all of the consequences of all of those things that he's done. And one of those consequences that he's unaware of is that he has had a child or that his his best friend after a weekend that they spent together, got she was pregnant and she had a baby, and he has no knowledge of this until he gets back to Texas. Mm-hmm. So, um, but this is a person, you know, that really, to looking at who he has been in all of the previous books, to turn around and say, oh, yes, this is my hero. <laughs> 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 Talk about making things hard for yourself. Um, you, you mentioned that, you know, this is set with, and the people who kind of put together the, the rodeos, and that might be something that people from the outside looking in might think, well, that's a bit of a, a random place to put these, these stories, but you have kind of, you know, cowboys and rodeos, that's very much a part of your, your background and your upbringing, correct? Yeah, I, um, I went to my first rodeo when I was two weeks old, and that was <laughs> at a time when people didn't take babies out in public mm-hmm. when they were that young. But my mom didn't want to stay home, and my dad was going to a rodeo, so they snuck me in, and she's sitting in the pickup, kind of hiding out, trying to watch the rodeo from the pickup. And my grandma proceeded to drag everyone they knew over there to the pickup to say hello, so the hiding out didn't go real well. <laughs> but um, I say I, I went to my first rodeo when I was two weeks old, and I've lived in a state of horse-induced poverty ever since. <laughs> so so you're still actively involved in the rodeo kind of scene correct i am I, we actually um that's how we celebrated our thanksgiving vacation we we had the family dinner on thursday and then saturday we went to a team roping up in alberta that is 
I, I'm so like, I'm so fascinated by everything about this. Like, I just, it's such a foreign concept to me. I, I, we were talking before we started recording, I live in Cleveland. So I, I mean, I see deer and Ohio has a lot of cows and things like that, but we're, we're not just not a, we're not a rodeo area. So it's, I'm so fascinated by that. You know, and that actually is one of the things. I have a, an ongoing challenge on my Facebook page for anybody in the U.S. and Western Canada, well, and not clear up in the boonies and the, you know, on the Yukon border, but, <laughs> um, but anywhere basically in the continental U.S., if you tell me where you live, I will find you a rodeo within 100 miles. Ooh, okay. And I, and I have yet to have to, I, and if I can't, I'll send you a free book, and I have yet to send anybody a free book. All right, well, when so, we... When and we, I know that there are rodeos in Ohio because I've looked it up. <laughs> I was just going to say, when we stop recording, I'm going to send you an email. I wanna, I'm curious to see if you can find one. I'm sure you I know you can. I'm just curious to see where they would be. Yeah, because my publishers are in um, Chicago, and I found them, like, a whole series of rodeos that are with about an hour outside of Naperville, where my publisher is located. Mm, interesting. And so, and I know um, the Midwest, and actually, surprisingly, Quebec and Ontario, mm-hmm. are, are there's a lot of cowboys. Hmm, okay, interesting. So... Speaking of cowboys, and like I said, you you know you write cowboys and, and romance novels, and there's that's there's a, that's a really big subgenre is you know western romances and cowboy romances. I'm curious as someone who writes and reads romance as much as you do, why do you think that romance and cowboys kind of work so well together, and why they remain so popular in our culture today? Um, I think that. A lot of it is kind of that cowboy mystique thing as in general um, people tend to look at cowboys as here are people who are have very solid core values and family values and they're very dependable and the guy you can count on and he's gonna save the day and and all of that so I think that's a big part of the appeal I especially right now people are looking for um but i I, i'd say always um you know you go back clear to roy rogers and the old old westerns it was always that idea of the you know the cowboy saves the day basically um i think that it has evolved a lot and i have to admit that i actually don't read very much um Western, mm-hmm. especially contemporary Western. I'm like the cop who can't read cop books. <laughs> um, it just, you know, I, I get too caught up in the little details. Mm-hmm. Even there's a few writers who really have gone, you know, and gotten involved in the culture and really do it well that I can read. But otherwise, I'm better off with the type of romance or westerns that the western setting is sort of there in the background but they don't go into a lot of detail so maybe it's set in a small town cowboy kind of book rather than on the ranch at Mm -hmm. the rodeo because i just did the smallest details that are off and just the fact that they don't sound like the people i know sound um that makes a lot of sense the way they phrase things um you know and it pulls me out of the story and so i just 
I just don't end up reading a whole lot of that. So what do you tend to read or, or listen to as we were talking about? Um, I'm all over the map. <laughs> so um, one of the great things about social media, and then, you know, there are a lot of downsides, but um, when Twitter sort of became a thing, I had an agent who said, you will be on Twitter, and here's a list of all of my other clients, and you all need to follow each other. <laughs> and so... For me, it was a really awesome thing because all of a sudden I had this instant, like, writers group online and this whole network, and, and it's just kept growing as I've gotten to know other writers through those writers and, and following writers that I know online. And so I tend to read a lot of the people that I know online, mm-hmm. and that kind of takes me all over the board. So um, I've, I read quite a bit of, or listen to quite a bit of YA, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Rainbow Rowell oh, is yeah. a big favorite of mine, and oddly enough, not Eleanor and Park. Um, I know Eleanor and Park is kind of her big one. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just, where I was at mentally, that when I tried to read, it was just a little too dark for me. That's understandable. Um, but I absolutely love Fangirl. Yes. Fangirl, and and this is the one that always kind of, because I had this question on a blog during one of my book releases, they said, you know, what's your number one favorite fictional cowboy? And I said, Levi from Rainbow Rowell's Fangirl. <laughs> and everyone's like, that's not even a Western. And <laughs> And it's not. It's the story of a you know a girl with a lot of um, anxiety and social issues who goes to college, and she meets this guy, and they're in Omaha, or Lincoln, I guess, in Lincoln mm-hmm. at the University of Nebraska, and he is a ranch kid from Western Nebraska, and he is written so well. I mean, he is really like exactly the guys I went to college with and the guys that I know. Um, so I tell people that's like as far as the contemporary goes, Levi is the best cowboy character that I've seen written in ages. Interesting. Um, speaking I, speaking of reading and, and being a writer and we we're talking about, you know, the cowboy stuff, with all of the sort of ranching and, and things like that in your background. How did you come to be a writer? Um, well, I'm still working on what I... It took me a really long time to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, I guess. <laughs> so I actually went to college, started out in engineering, and decided at some point that I didn't want to sit in an office doing math for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so I... I switched over into sports medicine, and I was in sports medicine. I was a certified athletic trainer, and I worked at the high school level for like 12 years after college. And so that's what took me to Texas, and that's what took me to South Dakota, and that's what took me to Oregon. Was um, There are very few jobs in that field in Montana mm-hmm. um, because there are very few high schools large enough to hire an athletic trainer and um, only a handful of colleges. So there may be 20 jobs in the whole state. Wow. Um, 
Texas is actually one of the best places to go for that career because they, it, by law, have to have an athletic trainer on staff unless they can prove that they fit financially they can't afford it. And so all of their schools, down to about a town that would be like maybe 20,000 people, there's an athletic trainer on staff. Man, that's super So that's how I ended up in Grand Prairie, Texas, out of college. Okay, but so, and then, and that's where you started kind of doing your sort of writing journey? I did not. I did not start writing until we were in Oregon, and my husband, um, we moved, I moved to South Dakota, again, following jobs. I met my husband there, and we got married, and he had a feedlot and ran some cattle of his own, and we'd been married about six years. I'd been in South Dakota for eight and the winter of 97 was the worst winter on record in the state of South Dakota and North Dakota. And um, the cattle market was in the tank. Everything was just not... He was working for someone else in order to support his own cow habit. And so <laughs> we um, decided that it was time to make another plan. And so I started looking for other jobs. And at the time, my sister was working in Pendleton, Oregon, and lo and behold, she emailed me one day and said, they've decided to hire an athletic trainer here for the first time ever. And so we moved to Pendleton, Oregon. And we were out there for about 10 years. And he went to work for the irrigation district. And he worked, like summer was his busiest time. I worked for the hospital who loaned me out to the high school and community college. So I had my summers off. And I think it's about the second or third summer that we were there. Um, I was just bored and watching television, and this is everybody else talks about how they who inspired them to write, and it's you know this great book or that great book. I was inspired to write by like the worst television movie ever <laughs> about about ranches and rodeo. I just looked at it and went, God, you know somebody has got. Somebody who lives this and know this knows this really needs to tell these stories. And I didn't really have anything else to do, so I decided to give it a go. And that's where I started, and my husband liked it, so then I thought, well, maybe I'll show it to a few other people, and they liked it, and it kind of, I decided to start doing some studying of the craft, and um, romance has always been my favorite genre. I read a ton of Harlequins and stuff when I was younger, and so that was what kind of my natural, mm -hmm. natural genre for me to write. So did you, like, do any courses or anything, or was it more so just being such a avid reader and understanding the, you know, the structure and the stories and kind of the beats that you're hearing and reading over and over, or, or did you, like, find classes and things for the the craft of writing? I did take one class, and it was just like a basic writing class at the community college, um, which didn't really help me out all that much. Um, I, my kind of class, so to speak, in writing was really, at that time, Harlequin had the Harlequin Writer Forums, and I don't know if they still do, but at that time they had, and they had all these chat rooms where you could go and talk to other writers, and they had all kinds of kind of little online courses and things. And that was the first place that I met people who were published. Up until then, I had just 
it was like, ah, this is a dream, you know, like, <laughs> nobody I know writes books and gets them published and stuff. And there I met people who were people like me who were just normal, you know, married with kids. At that time I didn't have kids, but, um, you know, just normal people. And they were hanging out in the chat room and they would talk to us. And I, the first real published author I talked to online was Karen Templeton, who is still one of my favorites. She's kind of retired now, but she wrote for Harlequin for years and years. And I just loved her books because her people are so real. Mm-hmm. And she wrote um, a lot of rural types. She didn't really write cowboys. She wrote more like rural settings. And she posted in one of the chat rooms, I need to talk to somebody who knows something about pigs. <laughs> and we had raised pigs when I was a kid for a while, and so I knew pretty much the basics about raising uh-huh. pigs. I'm like, this is not, this is it, my foot in the door, because <laughs> I know about pigs. <laughs> See, that's a lesson and, for people. That... You know, and, and we, she ended up, I helped her out with some research on a couple of other books, and we've stayed in touch. We still talk on Facebook. She blurbed um, my first book with, of this Texas Rodeo series. That's awesome. So, um, you know, it's it's amazing. The writer community online is really amazing. Um, they are so helpful and so willing to give people a hand. It's it's really an, a cool thing. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Probably the best agree. thing about the internet. <laughs> oh, honestly, I I agree. I actually tell a lot of the uh, a lot of the YA authors that we have on the show. I, we always talk about that, like the YA author community, especially on Twitter, like watching them all either support and like signal boost each other's books or like stand up for each other when someone's being awful to one of them. It's, it definitely is like the, the one good corner of the internet, I think. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think there are probably similar communities, no matter what your particular, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're an engineer or whatever. I know people who are really into crop science. Oh. Because I'm, I'm that kind of person. I know people who have like really intense discussions about crop science and agricultural science and, you know, genetic modification versus genetic engineering versus all of these kinds of things. And, um, you know, they have a very, very close-knit and incredible community online. That is super, super interesting. Okay, I, I am curious, though. We just talked about all the wonderful things online, and now I want to be a little sassy. I'm curious, as a romance writer, are there some romance tropes that you absolutely hate? You know, you talked about people getting stuff wrong, but what are some of the, like, stereotypical romance tropes that you just do not enjoy reading? Um, I'd say probably the one that, like, if I see it in the blurb, it's an instant nope for me is the save the ranch trope yeah 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 the whole miniseries yellowstone (laughs) (laughs) yeah that whole basic you know and it's not it's usually the save the ranch from the evil developers or something like that and you know it's a reality Mm -hmm. um it's a reality not where i live but in in areas that are more habitable we are not in an area where people from california want to come and hang out it's cold and it's windy Mm -hmm. and it's there aren't a lot of trees and 
So this is not where, you know, Mark Harmon has his <laughs> vacation ranch in Montana. Yeah. But, but when you get into the areas, you know, around the mountain valleys and stuff where the climate is better and stuff, it is a real issue, but I think it's just been done so much yeah. that it's hard to do it in a new and better way. Um, and so that's not something that I would, like I said, it's not something I enjoy reading and mm-hmm. it's not something I, I just think it's been done done it's done enough yeah Mm -hmm. and um the and kind of along the same lines but for different reasons the save the wild horses is another (laughs) one that's really popular and that one besides the being overdone the challenge for me is that that is such a incredibly complicated issue Uh uh-huh and it goes so much further than ranchers versus the wild horses. There's a lot of issues about, you know, how wild horses interact with the environment and the damage they can do to to habitat and the population control because there, there really just isn't any population control. Mm-hmm. And so no matter how much land you give them, they're going to outgrow it. And it's just there's so many issues and it goes so much deeper and and really the people these people are so emotional about it and oftentimes they don't really understand the nuances or understand and and we live on the Blackfeet reservation and this is an issue the overpopulation is an issue here because people have horses that kind of run loose they reproduce kind of at will and you see horses starving, and it's it's not pretty. It's a really, mm-hmm. it's a really horrible thing. And so for me, it's hard for me to look at the wild horses and see past all of that other stuff. Yeah. And so, so those that for me is a trope that is just kind of a don't go there because I've not ever read any of the romances that that go into or even look at all of that stuff. It's just we must save the noble beast yeah I, well and plus like you said I, I can only imagine living so having it you know be kind of so close to home so to speak that's you know it's difficult to it's difficult to be able to read that and just take it as a story when you're like no 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 i i know how this is actually happening and yeah that that makes perfect sense to me yeah and it's you know it's not like personally i i wish that we could happily have the the wild horses out there and doing their thing, but unfortunately, the real the reality is that, that horses are an invasive species. Mm-hmm. Wild horses are an invasive species; they're not native to this country, and so it's like with the lakes and certain species of fish and everything else. Um, they just don't. Yeah, well, that makes. They don't. Um, they tend to to take over and and maybe actually damage other populations. So, and this is a, a rant you can feel free to <laughs> No, I, I'm, no, I'm, I like this. I'm honestly, I'm, it's really interesting to me. I, I, I like that a lot. Um, okay, so at the end of our, our podcast, we always like to ask our, our Nerd Nine, which is just nine lighthearted questions that um, we unfortunately make every author answer and usually they yell at me. Um, so don't put a lot of thought into these, but the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Um, the last 
I finished that really like made an impact was probably Gabrielle Union's um, We're Gonna Need More Wine for mm -hmm. This. Mm -hmm. um, it's just really intense. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've read it, but just I have kind of um, being the re a survivor of sexual assault, being mm -hmm. a person who has to live a public life and the liberties that people take because you're a public figure and they feel like they own you, mm -hmm. um, and and just growing up and existing as a black person in America, there was so much in there. I need to go back and actually listen to it again and sort of unpack it all. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Um, usually in the car. That, yeah, that's true, because audiobooks. Um, the hay truck is a good one, because we haul hay for about six weeks in the fall and summer, and so I spend hours in the hay truck, mm -hmm. and so that's a real odd, audiobooks are huge, <laughs> <laughs> during haying season especially. Uh, do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading? You know, I I read a lot when I was a kid because we didn't have much for television where we live. Mm -hmm. um, because of the landscape, we could not get American television. All we got was Canadian. Mm -hmm. um, so my Sesame Street spoke French. <laughs> and um, we had Mr. Dressup instead of Mr. Rogers. Uh -huh. And we had three channels. So I didn't, I read a lot because mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of other options. And I, rem I remember a lot of children's books I liked. I have no idea what the titles for the authors okay. were. Um, I, I remember, I liked the secret place books. Mm -hmm. So like The Bridge to Terabithia, The Secret Garden. Yeah. We have a little, a, a little bunch of trees that I used to imagine was like my Terabithia. And when I went in there, there were going to be all these magical elves and forts and all kinds of cool stuff and you know then i actually went there and it was a real disappointment but mm -hmm. um but that, i loved those as a kid and then as far as romance goes um totally mary stewart um mm -hmm. i and she kind of has the two sort of books she has the crystal cave books the merlin and yeah. king arthur and all of those books but i also she has like airs above the ground and um, I'm drawing a blank, but I went back to my library when we moved home and went back and looked at, I think it was Airs Above the Ground, and they still had, you know, the thing in the front where you wrote your name and they stamped mm -hmm. the date that you checked it out, and my name and the date is still in the oh, copy. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> so, so it, yeah, but that, those were kind of my, I had been reading some of probably some Harlequin romances and stuff, but Mary Stewart are the ones that really made an impact. Okay. Uh, and she had horses. Airs Above the Ground was about the, about the Lipizzan or Stallions that had been smuggled out during World War II. That's super interesting. Okay, uh, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Um, Monument Valley and the Anasazi uh, cliff drawings, mm -hmm. number one on my list. I'm doing an um, author event in Farmington, Utah in the first week of February, and I'm. it's not that far from Farmington, or it's Farmington, Farmington, New Mexico. It's not that far from Farmington down at least to Monument Valley, and so I'm actually working on that right now. That's one of those ones I'm going to make come true. That's awesome. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? 
of July. Um, <laughs> the 4th of July is what we call Cowboy Christmas because, mm. like, every other town in the country has their rodeo on the 4th of July. Mm. And so over the 4th of July, everybody is running around, going to as many rodeos as they can and driving all night and doing and trying to make these insane connections where it's like these rodeos are 200 miles apart and I'm going to rope at 1 at 8 o'clock in the morning and 1 at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and I all I have to do in between that is drive through Tacoma and Seattle. <laughs> That's so interesting. Um, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Actually, both. Okay. Um, tea is kind of my drink of choice at home mm-hmm. and but I I drink coffee when I kind of need a little more of a kick, but I have to put so much creamer and sugar and <laughs> stuff into it. I don't actually like coffee, but mm-hmm. I, I I like the kick. Okay, that's fair. Um, how about cats or dogs? Definitely dogs. Um, my cat is a jerk. <laughs> Every cat is a jerk. That's my that's well, my stance. Yeah, there's mine more so than the, mine is a barn cat, and just she was not like genetically designed to be a house cat. <laughs> so she she just she's not real good at it. She's got some serious attitude <laughs> issues. But we also we have border collies, so my dogs are working dogs. Mm. Um, so on a day to day basis, my dogs make my life ten times easier. I can go out with a horse and me and the dogs and maybe move a hundred head of cows Mm -hmm. depending on what cows they are and where we have to move them to yeah that's Um, that makes sense so it it they right now we're at a point i don't know what we would do without them yeah (laughs) it's like having two extra ranch hands well one and a half spike's not smartest dog if you've read <laughs> the readers of mistletoe in texas the dogs in mistletoe in texas are my dogs oh, so you'll understand what i'm talking about with spike that's so funny um do you have a favorite food italian i'm cheating italian that's okay italian food because italian food covers like pizza mm-hmm. and all the really good bread and all the really good cheese <laughs> I like you you did that right you played the game well there um if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you pick? Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, good answer. I'm just, oh, I watched another video of his this weekend. It's like every time I watch anything with him, the man is just like, you feel like you stuck your hand in a light socket and just got zapped with energy. He's just amazing, and he's funny and he's so talented and so creative and you know he's doing things that are totally changing the way we look at entertainment Mm -hmm. and um i just i can't imagine like being able to sit with him for a couple of hours and just like try to soak up the brilliance (laughs) like suck it in through my pores Mm -hmm. you have no way of knowing this but literally last night my wife and i were sitting around and I had a glass of whiskey and was just sitting there and she looked over and I was just looking up videos of Lin-Manuel like talking and accepting speeches. And it, I wasn't even looking up his, you know, like anything from Hamilton or In the Heights or any of his actual music. I was just watching videos of him talking and she was, my wife was just staring at me like, are you just watching Lin-Manuel accept awards? And I was like, yep, that's all I'm doing. Just being inspired. So have you seen the one that the one I watched where he explains Broadway terms? Yes, that's amazing. Oh, yes. Skelting is now my new favorite word. Oh, and I was so listening. My son has loves um, 
the greatest showman. Mm-hmm. He has memorized most of the songs. So he runs, walks around the house. He's like 13. He walks around the house singing show tunes from the greatest showman. Amazing. And so I was listening to the soundtrack when I on the way down to the bus stop. And our bus stop like is a mile round trip. It's 12 miles of gravel road. Mm-hmm. And so I got to listen to the whole soundtrack. <laughs> and the whole time, like every song, I'm going, ah, yeah, 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 that, that, that person, that person, they're scalping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. Um, okay, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? No, and I think this is probably when we go back to sort of why I write and what's missing from so many of the romances or westerns that I read. And that's, there's kind of this, I don't know what you'd call it, the sensibility or an attitude, but being a woman on a ranch or in rodeo is such an incredible thing because you are valued and rewarded for being aggressive, for being strong, for being competitive, and those are all the things that in most parts of society women are not valued for, Mm -hmm. and in many cases devalued for. Um, You know, you start getting called bad words because you're too competitive or you're too aggressive, and I live in this world where people are like, yeah, man, way to go, way to, you know, really get after it, and where, you know, my husband... We've, there's a story that I'm going to share. I know we're running long, but that's I'll, okay. <laughs> um, so we were we've been we had, we were in Oregon. We'd gone to a rodeo in Gooding, Idaho, which is down on the south side of the state, and we'd roped there um, at like eleven o'clock at night, and then had to drive from north to south across Idaho to the next rodeo where we were going to rope the next afternoon. And there is no good way to go from north to south in Idaho because the entire middle of the state is like mountains. Mm -hmm. This thing called the River of No Return. Oh, God. And Hell's Canyon. So it's like you have to get through all of that somehow, and there's there's just no good way. And so it's a really slow drive through these windy mountain roads and stuff. We stopped at like three in the morning. We slept for like three hours. We got up and just climbed in the pickup and took off again. No showers, no nothing. And so we're getting almost to, we're driving along and I'm trying to put on my makeup while he's driving and I'm <laughs> like poking myself in the eye with the mascara wand kind of thing mm-hmm. and cussing. Of course. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, I don't know why you even bother with that stuff. I didn't marry you because you're pretty. (laughs) That's amazing. And so, like, my first reaction is, like, if we were not clinging to the side of Hell's Canyon on this highway, I would punch you right now (laughs) while you're driving. Um, But, you know, it's like the more I thought about it, it's like that is probably the most important thing that maybe anybody has ever said to me Mm -hmm. because it's like what you look like isn't what's important here. It's like, I want to see you get to the next rodeo and go kick butt. I don't care what you look like while you do it. And, you know, on a day-to-day basis, when we're out here an hour from the nearest town and we see no other humans besides our own family, nobody cares what you look like. It's like, 
Yeah, great. But can you go out and fix that fence out there for me, please? Right. Um, and so that's, it's just amazingly empowering to be valued for what you can do and for being strong and for being independent versus um, I get it's very depressing to me when I hear people talking online and some of the women, it's like their body almost is only exists as something to display their clothes right, and to please other people. And that is so me unhealthy and I want to bring them all out to the ranch and yeah. have them spend a month and it's like you need to soak up some of this attitude about and this is the attitude that really I try to express through all of my characters and through the men who love them because the men who love them love that part of them mm -hmm. that's what they are looking for in a woman that's what they want um, I write what um, some people in our industry call competence porn. I want women who are really good at what they do and men who are amazed and awed and extremely attracted to that. Well, you know what? I personally think the world would be much, much better off if a lot more people were like that. So if everyone goes and reads your Texas Rodeo series and all of your books, maybe we'll have just a little bit more of that around. I... Carrie, I could talk to you for three more hours. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for taking this wonderful little literary journey with me. You're welcome. It's been fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.